This is Just a Few Questions. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Davis Seaton. Davis Seaton is the co-host of the Buchanan and Seaton radio show on WVON Radio here in Chicago. How are you, Davis Seaton? Doing well, Mark. Thanks for having me on today. Man, I, I see the show on the on the social media, and one week is you on there, one week a T was not there, you there, T was there. <laughs> I mean, well, what's going on with your show, man? The show is going through a bit of an evolution. Atiba has recently joined the afternoon show that comes on WVON Monday through Thursday from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. And we had made a decision internally as a team uh, uh, pre that, that evolution that we were going to start uh, doing shows solo, you know, once uh, once a month, and then we'd do them together. So it, we're, we're kind of just in a transition period right now, him having taken that opportunity with the afternoon show. But uh, the the Friday night show is still going, and we still have uh, new content. You can also follow me at seatonspeaks.com, and that's my blog where I have a lot of uh, interviews or audio. I mean, any any medium that, you, that you're interested in, is, there are things there to read. Uh, there's audio tracks. There are videos. Uh, interviews that I've done online, uh, you know, through Zoom or through uh, Google Video. So, again, go to SeatonSpeaks.com. You know, you'll find a lot of content there. And on the weeks that we don't do the Friday show, they usually rebroadcast the show from the week before. Well, David, Seaton, you are a very opinionated person and a very smart person, too. So you're the person to ask this question. David Seaton, if you were mayor of the city of Chicago, how would you reduce neighborhood crime? I'm, you know, that's a very interesting question, and, and, I'm, and I'm really, really gratified that I can have this conversation with you about this, uh, this particular subject. As there, it's got to be a dual track. So, number one, there needs to be something where we, where we create a sense of culture or we, or we have a cultural renaissance uh, that, that, will, that we need to do the cultural renaissance on one track, and then we need to do the law and order on the other track. So I'll take the, the easier of the two, which is the law and order. We, uh, the people of the, the, the government or the politicians in Chicago or the state of Illinois, whichever one you, you, you put that responsibility on, we've got to get law and order uh, reestablished in the city of Chicago. When you look at school shootings, when you look at uh, carjackings and drive-bys, a lot of these crimes are being committed by our youth. And when I say youth, I'm talking about teenagers. And when you read these stories, especially since the pandemic has, has, uh, has been in full swing, when you read these stories about a lot of these perpetrators, a lot of them are getting arrested for a second offense while they were let go, you know, from the first offense. So what do I mean? A 16-year-old goes out, carjacks someone, uh, you know, in June, and then they're given a court date, they're let go, and then in July or August, they are caught carjacking someone else while they are still waiting for their court date for their first offense of having carjacked someone. So... We have we that the subculture in Chicago that that participates in this antisocial behavior, they are behaving in a way that is letting that is letting all of us know that they do not fear 
the repercussions of their actions and or they perceive that there aren't any repercussions for their actions. And that's a breeding ground for this type of this type of antisocial behavior to metastasize, and that's what we're seeing. So we need to. I, I mean, and you and I, Mark, you know, you are you and I are, are older. Uh, you know, I'm a Generation X. <clears throat> what when you and I were coming up, there was a very robust juvenile, uh, you know, juvenile criminal justice, uh, you know, system. There was. It was not uncommon that if you know if you were a teenager, yeah, they're not going to send you to jail with adults. But if you commit a murder or if you commit a class one felony hey, you're going to be sitting in juvie until you turn 18. And we need to bring that back. We need to bring that back so that the, so that the children who are out here who are, who are committing these offenses know that there are repercussions for their actions. I had a, an actual conversation with Atiba uh, yes, uh, Friday on WVON, and his first two guests were speaking very, they were waxing, you know, they were being very ethereal, saying, oh, uh, we've got to worry about the, the perpetrators of these crimes, and we've got to do something to help them because they're damaged. And I'm sitting listening to this as a father, and I'm saying, this is crazy. If, if, if my son or my daughter gets murdered on the streets of Chicago by another teenager, I'm not concerned about the the teenager who pulled the trigger. I'm I'm concerned about what are what's going to be done to hold that individual accountable number 1 so it dissuades the next individual from potentially committing that offense to the next person and by, and in so doing you 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 hope or you or we know we know from the data that if you if if you're if you don't have a punitive system for the worst offenses, then people continue to commit those offenses as i as I alluded to earlier. So we've got to get the law and order component of this right. I think the pendulum has swung too far to the left, especially with the whole abolition of cash bail in, in the in the state of Illinois. Uh, it's not going into effect, I don't think until two thousand twenty two you know full fledged. But, you know, we, we, we allowed this narrative to exist that cash bail was somehow inherently racist. And in so doing, the abolition of that and moving away from it has created this environment where we've allowed antisocial behavior and, quite frankly, criminal behavior to, to like I said, to metastasize. So we've got to get the law and order, the law and order component of it right. Uh, it's swung too far to the left. The second component of this is, in my opinion, is the cultural component. And this is, I think, where we have a, where we could be very, very creative on the types of solutions that we implement. The first thing that comes to my mind, and anybody who drives into the city of Chicago, you drive down Lake Street, Madison, any of the major streets, uh, you know, Damon, uh, Augusta, Cicero, Pulaski, <clears throat> what's the thing that you see Everywhere, you see trash all over the the the, the city of Chicago. Uh, as a matter of fact, that you see so much trash that you 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 know there there are garbage cans at, at the corner of every major uh, city in the city of Chicago, and you see more trash on the ground right next to the garbage can uh, than you see any place else. So uh, you know, trash creates blight. 
it, it makes people feel like they are disinvested in their neighborhoods, uh, you know, when they, when, they, when they don't care about the appearance. You know, so it occurred to me something really simple. Hey, have a contest. You know, the city of Chicago could have a contest and say, you know, we're going to, we, we want to clean up the city of uh, the city of Chicago, put an online database, uh, you know, on the, on the city of Chicago's website, let people go on that website and, and sign up with their cash app. And every time somebody, you know, picks up a piece of trash and throws it into a garbage can, you know, take a picture, send it up to the site. And then, you know, the, the city has a lottery, you know, once a day where they give away, you know, 50 or a hundred dollars, you know, to so many participants who take pictures of themselves, you know, throwing away trash. That's, that, that might sound, uh, you know, trite, but you know, when you, you, you have to change the culture uh, you know, in order to have this larger impact. So if you started doing something like that, you know, people would start, you know, maybe picking up the trash. They start caring about their neighborhood. Now, if they care about their neighborhood, that's going to, you know, bleed into other areas in terms of, you know, how they, you know, interact with the businesses. You know, businesses will start to come back because they'll say, oh, you know, people will start, you, you're not going to, you know, pick up trash off the ground and then, you know, go defecate in the street or go shoot somebody. I mean, so, you know, I think there are little, because of technology, I think there are some interesting solutions that we could implement where we could change the culture and we could reward good or positive behavior on one end of the spectrum, but also on the other end of the spectrum, make it very, very clear that there's going to be a zero tolerance for the most violent antisocial behavior that is harming our, the black community specifically, but harming the reputation of Chicago, generally speaking. Well, David, see, now, before you go, of course, we're, we're in Chicago, and where there's a large population of African-Americans, you know, Chicago, St. Louis, Detroit, towns like that, even Atlanta, Georgia, for you people that love Atlanta so much, a lot of the crime and really the murders are black people. So here in Chicago, we have a race problem, and we have a, and have a class problem. A class mean economic class, if you will. Economic class problem. There's so many ways to change it. Uh, I, and I'm the kind of person I want to see it changed by, you know, I think it's much cheaper to teach somebody how to read and give them a vocational skill versus send them to jail. I mean, I, that's what, I mean, it's like a no-brainer. But that's a long-term solution. I think people want quick, easy solutions. And these are long-term problems that's manifesting themselves in carjackings today. Do people understand? It's really, you have some short-term solutions like lock them up, which I'm all for <laughs> on some degree. The other one is you have to have to give people a, a decent education. And it's not, forget about this crap about it. it starts at home. Some people don't have great homes. You have to help that child who's not coming from a great home and help them learn to read and write and give them a vocational skill. And we won't have all this crime. What do you think, David Seaton? Well, I, I think it's interesting when we bring up the race component. Because, again, you, you look at Chicago, Chicago is basically broken up into the west side, the south side, and the north side. You could, and, and I guess you could throw da- you know, downtown into that, into that mix as well, so really four. And generally speaking, when you, hear, uh, when you hear complaints from the minority communities in Chicago about investment you know, happening in the north side and in downtown, but it's not happening on the west and the south sides, you know, when I hear that, Again, if, if I'm a business owner and I, and I want to do business in Chicago and I want to invest X and I'm going to look at the west side, the south side, downtown, and the north side, and I want the highest return on my investment, I'm not going to Inglewood. I'm not going to North Lawndale. I'm not going into areas. And, and, and here's my point when I say that. 
black people or minorities assume that when businesses make those decisions, that those decisions are driven by race, but they're more driven by socioeconomics. If I'm going to open up a store where the average price of, of whatever that I'm, whatever I'm selling is a thousand dollars, I'm not going to go into Inglewood. I brought this up, uh, you know, I had this conversation with someone the other day, and they were saying uh, about the payday loan stores, and they were saying how these payday loan stores were targeting black areas. And my argument to the individual was no. These, th- th- that decision about where is based on socioeconomics. And when, and when the conversation got to an impasse, I just simply asked the person one question. Why don't you see any Ferrari dealerships in Roseland? Why don't you see any Mercedes-Benz dealers in North Lawndale? And the person responded correctly by saying the people who live there can't afford those, you know, can't afford those, those types of automobiles. That's the thing that we need. If, if we're really going to come to a solution or a conclusion in the African-American community, the issue is there is a racial component that white supremacy exists and racism exists and systemic racism exists or systemic, uh, you know, we have systemic problems that are, that are racially driven. However, the biggest, the, the, the larger concern that we need to ask ourselves as African-Americans and we never ask ourselves these things is why are we, why do we have a disproportionately higher number, a higher percentage of poverty and working class people in our communities, and if we could get the, get the, the solution to that, that's what's going to be the issue that's going to create some parity or take us up one rung on the socioeconomic ladder. Now, to your earlier point about schools and about you know <clears throat> about uh, you know the kid who can't read and and you say you know it starts at home and you say the person does, you know not all people have a good home. To me, that's another issue that we need to reconcile within the black community. We, we are, a lot of times when we talk about solutions, we, we behave as though there's this solution that's going to help 100% of black people. And that's, that's not the case. You don't see, you don't see uh, you know, the, the, the newest class of billionaires, the Elon Musks and the, and the Bill Gates and the Zuckerbergs and the, uh, you know, and the, and the, the Bezoses of the world. You don't see them going in trying to save Appalachia. <laughs> you know, rich, rich people, rich white people are not trying to save poor white people. And, and, I, and I'm simply saying that to say that there is, no, there is no solution that's going to save everybody. So guess what? That kid who, who doesn't know how to read and comes from a household, uh, a poor household that's not going to reinforce education, and then they're, they found, find themselves in a bad school, and that school is not going to reinforce and invest education, you know, some, not everybody's going to be successful. And I, I, I believe that because we have finite resources in terms of time and money and people, we have these finite resources, it behooves us to, in, to invest our, our resources into the, into the people who are going to give us the highest return on investment. No different than if you had a stock portfolio. And if you had a stock portfolio, you're not going to buy stock in a company that is going down or that is not performing. You're going to invest your money into a stock that's going to give you the highest return on your investment. And I think if we, I think if we look at it like that, it'll take a generation for us to perhaps, you know, get the processes in place where we can catch the people who are falling, uh, you know, through through the through the net. But as of right now in Chicago, 
We need to get the crime under control, and we need to invest our limited resources into the people who are going to give us the highest return on investment. And that's just, I mean, and guess what? That that sounds cold. It sounds. It sounds. It might even sound. You know. I guess, it, I, well, I it's, the, it's the math. It's the Matthew effect, which I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to argue. I don't, my show is not to argue with the guests. <laughs> but <laughs> David Seaton is, is. You're so good. I love listening to you on WVON Radio. People can type it in right now. WVON Radio, Chicago. But close out the podcast. Give us some hope in the city of Chicago. Do you think whatever you want to say? Do you think we actually at some point we're going to maybe even take another generation, maybe another five or 10 years, whatever, that we will drastically or dramatically, if you will, reduce neighborhood crime here in the city. I think we're at, I think we're at a, we're at the precipice where if we don't make some hard choices that Chicago, that Chicago could go one of two directions. Chicago could be the next Detroit. Uh, if we continue on the path that we're on, uh, you know, you need only look at you know the, the hedge funds and and large companies that are that are di- that are divesting from from Chicago that are leaving Chicago because they're concerned about uh, the trajectory that we're on. And if so, if we don't make some hard choices, we could go that path. There is a possibility for us to to go the other path where we do where we do see this amelioration, uh, you know, across the city. That's going to you know, but that's going to be that's going to be again some hard choices. You know, things like hey, we're going to have to reevaluate how we allocate dollars to our public city schools and how they're tied to property taxes. So if you're in a city in a Chicago public city school in New Trier, you're going to get a lot more uh, you know money per. But there's a lot more money per capita at, at Nutrier than there is at, like I said, a school in, in uh, you know, North Lawndale or Inglewood. So there's some hard choices that are going to be made one way or the other. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's going to take it's going to take the people that the people that are across racial lines uh, that are that are the working class and the poor that are going to have to in the in the spirit of. Fred Hampton and the spirit of Reverend Barber that are going to have to create create alliances across racial lines and recognize that they have more in common, despite their their racial and their ethnic differences. If if that that's the biggest that's the largest group of people out here, and if those if those groups of people can come together and demand the change that they want to see, uh, then, then, then we'll have some hope. But as long as we have, as long as we have poor people and working class people who are fighting over scraps and blaming each other for the lack that they see in their own community, uh, then there will always be people who will capitalize on that. And Chicago is, is really a good example of that. Chicago is one of the most racially segregated cities, uh, you know, in the United States. One can argue whether whether or not that's by design, uh, but at the end of the day, the people who allow themselves to be manipulated are willing participants. When they get to the point where they say, "Hey, Latino," when Latinos look at black people and black people look at Asians and Asians look at white poor white people, and they see that they that their socioeconomics is what they have in common, and they band together, that'll be the catalyst for the change that that will that we will want to see. I I am not confident, however, that that those groups will be able to form that type of an alliance.